season two of the JKR podcast powered by Black Cobra Sports. My name is Jay Shrigland and I'm the host. Let's dig into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. Are you ready to chase your dreams? You've come to the right place. This Indiana baseball series is sponsored by Brain Fuel. So before digging into the product that helps me chase my dreams, let me tell you about my experience with Brain Fuel. So I tried Brain Fuel for the first time in March during baseball season after hearing a bunch of buzz here on the Indiana University campus. Instantly fell in love. Every time I get the opportunity, I am pushing the product on to my friends, having them drink a couple sips of mine. They're going out buying it as well. They're loving it as well. Um, no, I have a bottle. I probably have a case every week of Brain Fuel. Uh, probably a bottle every time before I go work out. Probably have half a bottle, quarter of a bottle, mid-podcast. I really believe it kind of helps me get motivated, opens up my brain, just makes me think wider, uh, kind of focus at the task at hand. So digging a little bit deeper into the product of Brain Fuel. So it was actually developed during COVID by a team of brain surgeons. They wanted to create some sort of product, some sort of drink that would just create all day focus. Well, after weeks and after months of testing out different ingredients, they came up with the ingredients Brain Fuel currently has. Um, rapidly grew right after that, right after creation, kind of sp- spread across the Midwest to where now it's in Indiana, Tennessee, Illinois, multiple states across the Midwest. It's definitely a product I would recommend. Like I said, I recommend it to all my friends, recommend it to you guys as well. Um, if you want some product, want to try it out, go to brainfuel.com. Or even if you are in Bloomington, they are in three stores right now. They're going to be in more stores here at the end of the month. But those three stores they're currently in is the Marathon on 10th, as well as the Convenient Mart by Evolve and Indiana Grab and Go. But with that being said, all the love I have for Brain Fuel, let's move on to the episode. And welcome back to the JKR podcast. Today we have 2018 MLB draft pick and current senior catcher for Indiana baseball. We got Peter Ceruto on the podcast. Peter, super pumped to get you on the show, man. I hope I didn't butcher that last name. I know I know those Italian last names, like we said, a little uh, a little funky for me in the Midwest. But how are you doing today? Pumped to have you here on the podcast. No, you got it, man. Uh, yeah, really, really excited to be on here. Thanks for having me. Hey, of course. You know, I always like to know, but right before the Indiana baseball season gets kicked off, like I said, me being a fellow Hoosier, want to dig into, you know, what's going on this season. Obviously, I hear so many great things, you know, with everyone we're bringing back, including yourself, all the pitchers that we're bringing back from the transfer portal, stuff like that. You know, I'm hearing that we're just going to have an amazing team this spring. Um, So excited to dig into that, excited to dig into your career. But before we dig into baseball, I have one question I like to ask everybody that gets on the podcast, and that is, for those who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? Who exactly is Peter Ceruto? Wow, that's a loaded question. Um, I think initially, I think I'm someone that has a great passion for the game of baseball, um, obviously as a player, but um, in kind of all aspects, I'm a student of the game. Um, I love baseball history. And uh, one day I want to make baseball my life uh, as a profession. So And then I think aside from baseball, um, I think family is a priority to me. Um, And I'm a family man, uh, come from a big family back in New Jersey and very close knit. And uh, I think family and baseball are the two kind of pillars in my life. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. 
All right. So you talk about family there and from doing some research, it looks like you've got a bunch of family, you know, going all over the country to go play, you know, whether that's, you know, wrestling, I believe I saw football in there, a couple other different sports. Looks like you come from a very athletic family. So what kind of influence has that had, you know, over your career and kind of how has that helped you out, you know, um, in your first, you know, 22, 23 years of life? Oh, it's been the greatest influence. I mean, I owe it all to my dad and my older brother, John, uh, just from a young age, um, you know, picking up the bat. They're they're actually most notable for wrestling. And I wrestled uh, my childhood, but then obviously stuck with baseball. My dad uh, wrestled and played baseball in, in college at Virginia. And I think their influence from a young age, just like I knew like, Hey man, this is, this isn't necessarily a normal family. Just looking at my, my other friends and like after games and stuff like that. And it's been incredible. Just like my uncles, my cousins, my brother, especially my father, it's, I wouldn't be here today without their influence. And obviously they've, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've shown me the ropes. They've, uh, they've set a clear path on what to do to, to get to this point and play uh, at, at the higher level. And I'm, I'm really grateful for them. Yeah. So let's dig a little bit into, you know, your time before college, before Rutgers, before IU. Um, you know, I know you played for Niners baseball from what I saw. Maybe potentially there was another team mixed in there as well. Got to go to area code, stuff like that. Um, so just take us through your travel baseball experience just a little bit. You know, playing for the Niners, potentially another team as well. Uh, take us through that a little bit. Man, I, I had a blast playing for the Niners. Um, I think I had a little bit of a different experience as other kids just because I played so many sports. Um, I, I was, I was a quarterback, uh, in football and obviously I wrestled when I was younger. So I, I actually had to miss some, like, I didn't get to go play fall ball. I didn't, I missed chunks in the summer, uh, cause of football practice. So I kind of had like a, a different experience with travel ball, but obviously as I got older, like I kind of had to prioritize it and, uh, just really blessed to play, play for that group and, uh, play in some really cool events across the country. Yeah. So how long did you play football? My whole life. Okay, um, so all the way up until Rutgers? Yeah, all the way till uh, my freshman year of college. Okay, so when that freshman year of college rolls around and, you know, you stop playing football, kind of solely focus on baseball, how did you see your game evolve there? I guess more at a, at a faster pace. What was that difference of, you know, maybe focusing on football and baseball to now when you were a freshman, completely just baseball? I think just like more time focusing solely on baseball allowed me to learn more about the game, you know, different uh, defensive plays, different, um, you know, pitching philosophies uh, from the catching side, uh, controlling the run game, stuff like that. It allowed me to learn a lot that I really didn't know before. But I also, I credit playing other sports um, in my, on the other side too, like athletics, uh, athletic ability, um, competitiveness, just staying, um, you know, competing all year round, stuff like that. So I think it, it's really like, you know, obviously I didn't uh, play baseball all year round growing up, uh, but I think it's it's really came, came hand in hand and helped me in the long run. Yeah. So when you were growing up, you know, playing in New Jersey, playing for the Niners, were you always behind the dish or was that kind of something that maybe transitioned a little bit when you got older? Since day one, I when I was like the only one to put on the gear when I was, eight, well, it helped my, my grandfather uh, on my mom's side was a catcher. And he always wanted me to be a catcher. So I looked up to him and then obviously my dad caught and my dad was a really good catcher. Um, so like I kind of had, it was in my blood to put on the gear. 
and nobody else really wanted to do it when they're, you know, as kids. And once I, I, I haven't taken it off since. So, I mean, that's pretty much, I, I did get on the mound a little bit when I was younger, but it's, it's always been catcher. Yeah. It's always about that bulldog mentality. I know, uh, whenever all the teams I've played on, you know, growing up, you know, our catcher was always a wrestler. So maybe, you know, maybe it's that wrestling mentality, bulldog mentality, but um, so dig in and just a couple more questions about the Niners and we'll go ahead and kind of move into, you know, where you're at now. Um, so just take us through maybe some of those favorite travel baseball memories you had, you know, whether that's, you know, maybe some tournaments in New Jersey. I haven't interviewed a guy from New Jersey yet. So maybe what New Jersey baseball looks like, or, you know, when you were traveling down South as well, kind of take us through that a little bit. Well, I had a ton of memories playing in like really cool events, but if I'm being honest, my favorite memories before college were my high school seasons. Um, I think New Jersey high school baseball, uh, you know, similar to Indiana, like is very competitive during the during the spring season. And I was fortunate to win two state championships for my high school, which are actually the first two in our program history. And, uh, you know, I've really, co really close to my high school coach, Brian Chapman. And, you know, he's had a ton of players go off and play the next level. So I think winning those two championships for sure are my favorite memories, um, you know, at, in high school ball. And then in, on the travel ball side of it, I think playing at, out in the area code games was really cool. Um, you know, seeing like the top prospects in the country and kind of seeing where you where you stack against those guys was really, really cool. Yeah. So you say New Jersey high school baseball is very competitive, but what does that look like when it comes to, you know, maybe some of the other teams you're playing, like how often were you facing, you know, another power five or another division one commit? And like, what were some of those, you know, I guess just the toughest competition you faced up in New Jersey? Yeah, it's, it's obviously, we don't have the luxury of being down South um, with the good weather. And, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a hotbed for recruiting, but if you go in a, I guess a 10 mile radius, you got Jack Leiter, Anthony Volpe, Nick Maldonado, and, you know, guys like Richie Sheikhoffer and, and studs in the area uh, where I'm from in, in North Jersey. So like competition wise, like you go down the street and there's, there's a, there's a dude. So, I mean, um, obviously there's, there's parts where it's, it's less competitive, but I was actually really fortunate to compete against those guys. And then when I go home in the winter, uh, I get to train with those dudes and it's, it's awesome. Yeah. So you mentioned the area code games there a little bit. So you got to take part in area code and in East Coast Pro. Um, so take us through both of those events, kind of what the day to look the day to day looked like, uh, maybe the competition level you were facing, and then just kind of compare both those events. Well, I think they try to they try to simulate it to be as, as much of a pro experience as possible. Um, you know, they they do pro style workouts. Um you know, they try to simulate it. They put you in the clubhouse, you get up early, um, do the whole day-to-day -day operation. And then, you know, once 7.05 comes around, it's, it's game time and you got to lock it in. So I think it's, I think for some kids, it's tough to, you know, do all the, the batting practice and the pop times and for pitchers getting off the mound, you know, all day. And then you got to lock it in and perform um, during game time. But I mean, overall, it was, it was a really cool event. I would just look around and just kind of be really thankful for, you know, getting to that point. And obviously, when I was just in high school um, and just being surrounded by some really, really talented players and yeah. coaches as well. Yeah. So some of those coaches for area code, those are, I believe, major league area scouts, right? Yeah. So when you're around, you know, scouts like that, like 
did you build, were you, did you get the chance to, you know, build relationships with some of those guys or how did you even, you know, pick the brains of, you know, major league area scouts kind of when, you know, you could, you could have been potentially a 2018 MLB draft pick. For sure. Um, I think that's, it's really smart, um, you know, to, to have those area scouts on the field. Cause then they kind of get to learn, like, it's easy when you're in the stands, like you can have a stopwatch and watch a guy run and kind of make an assumption about a player. But when you're in the dugout and when you're on the field in practice, you can kind of get a sense of their personality traits, like their emotions and how they carry themselves. And if, you know, if they're a good teammate. Um, so I think that was really cool. Um, and for sure, it allowed me to build relationships with some of those scouts and um, start that process. Yeah. So when that process came, like moving into the 2018 summer, you know, when you were drafted in that 22nd round by the Cincinnati Reds, when did scout, you know, starting expressing interest or when did some of those conversations start and some of those, you know, thoughts in your head pop up that, okay, I could potentially, you know, be drafted here in this 2018 draft. I think it started at the tail end of my junior year summer. Um, obviously got, got invited to area code and East coast pro. And I didn't really, didn't really cross my mind that it was, and then once that senior year started in the fall, I started getting, uh, you know, Scott started to reach out more and more and um, started to get invited to stuff. And that's where I really thought it could be a possibility. And then it kind of led to my spring season. And then I, I kind of had a, a, a good feeling that it was going to happen. So that that senior that senior spring when you're still playing high school baseball in New Jersey, um, and you know you're having the, those scouts you know talk to you, reaching out to you, watching you. How did you kind of block out all that interest that you were kind of having, and still you know focus on the game that needed to be played? Man, it, it was definitely tough, but I think our uh, our head coach Brian Chapman and my dad did a really good job, just kind of like helping me use use my own game as a distraction from. Um, you know, the scouts in the stands or any type of, you know, thoughts or, you know, or being in the future. I think, you know, a good mantra to live by is be where your feet are. Um, you know, don't be in the past. Don't be in the present. Just worry about right now. Worry about the next pitch. And that's that's kind of how I handle the situation. Yeah. So, you know, when the spring of your senior season was, you know, coming to an end, the summer was starting to ramp up. Um, at that time, I believe the MLB draft was in June, not July, like it is now. Um, so what were some of those conversations like, you know, with teams, what did some of those pre-draft meetings look like? Take us through, you know, what some of those meetings look like, you know, when a team's, you know, interested in drafting you. You know, they, in the beginning, they kind of just, they're asking you a lot of questions. They're, they're trying to see where you're at. Um, you know, like, Hey, like, do you value education? Do you want to go play right away? Kind of, you know, things to those lines. And then there's obviously the, uh, the money aspect that, they, that has to be negotiated. And that's that's kind of like the initial, and then kind of once they get the ball rolling and and being comfortable, there's a home visit, um, and uh, we had a scout come over to my house. My my parents got him got him dinner, and we all kind of sat down and discussed like some possible plans and what might happen in the near future. And I think that was really cool. And um, you know, my advisor Dave Pepe really kind of helped me out in that in that uh, whole process, like big time. Yeah. So as the draft got, you know, closer and closer, what was kind of going through your head? Like, where's your mind at, you know, potentially going to Rutgers, potentially, you know, getting drafted by a team. Where's your mind at, you know, before the MLB draft, you know, those days leading up to it? Well, there, one thing I, I was, uh, I was ensured that is there's no guarantees. So I, I didn't really ever in my head think, okay, 
this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm set out on because the draft, there's no guarantees as we know every year. And you kind of just kind of have to always have a backup plan and always be ready for that one plan. Um, so I, I wasn't really set on anything. And then I, you know, obviously the draft happened and then I had to analyze, you know, weigh my options and see what, you know, what was best for me. And that's kind of how it all played out. I, I was never set on doing one, one thing or the other. Yeah. So that draft happens, you know, you get drafted there in the 22nd round by the Reds. Take us through your draft story. You know, maybe day one, day two look like, and then day three where, you know, you do get selected, you get that phone call. Take us through your draft story, kind of what was going on there. Yeah, um, really, really emotional. Uh, my father, my mother, my brother, John, were all watching kind of the stream on, on our TV and – um, we actually, I, I got, I got a phone call before my name was put up on the, on the stream. So I kind of had to like keep my composure and kind of not, not freak out. And then I heard my name go and then we all kind of, we freaked out and we all, we all jumped up and down. That was such an awesome moment. And my brother fortunately took a video and I'll have that forever uh, <laughs> because, you know, sometimes I like to replay that moment. I'm sure. So, you know, after that draft happens, you know, you get selected, maybe the days, you know, after the draft, you know, what happens next? Like what goes on those next couple of days, you know, potentially when, you know, your advisor, your advisor slash agents, maybe discussing with the Reds, um, like kind of how long does that take before you realize, okay, you know what, I'm going to go to Rutgers this fall and you go play a couple of seasons of collegiate baseball. Well, there's a lot of external factors and uh, for sure there were that year with, you know, um, you know, the, the first rounder and how much of the signing bonus he's going to take and how much of the pool of money he's going to use. And I'd say it kind of took four days and then I it kind of shifted in my head and I felt like I was in the, you know, I was making the right decision uh, for myself and kind of put myself in, in that position. And then I'll, probably about a week after I was pretty set on uh, going to school. Okay. So you go to school, you're going to Rutgers. Let's go ahead. Let's dig into that recruiting process to kind of how you got landed at Rutgers. So just digging straight into that recruiting process. When did that get started for you? And like, when did you start getting noticed by some of those division one teams? Um, Probably that summer going into my sophomore year, I, some schools started to reach out and then Rutgers reached out that fall. And then I ended up committing my soft, end of my sophomore year, uh, last day of school, I remember, actually, uh, my sophomore year, I committed to Rutgers. Okay, great way to great way to start the summer. But um, well, what were some of those initial conversations like, you know, with maybe some of those initial teams that started reaching out, and then with Rutgers, um, the majority of the teams, you know, have the same way of, you know, I guess, maybe pitching their school, pitching their coaching staff. What were some of those conversations like? And were they all pretty much similar? Yeah, it's, it's so it's unbelievable now, like looking back and kind of seeing how our coaches are talking to recruits and it's tough. What a, what a lot of people don't know is when you're a sophomore, you can't call a coach and you can't text a coach. So you have to like work through a middleman. Hey, can you, can we set up a phone call this time? And you know, then they can kind of contact you then. So it's, it's, it's a lot different than what a lot of people expect. So you kind of have to work through some loopholes to, to even talk to coaches. And it's funny seeing, you know, our coaches are, are unbelievable at recruiting right now and they're, they're killing it. Just like how they have to talk to these really young kids. It's like, they're almost, it's, it's really hard to get a hold of sometimes, but I kind of had to go through that. Um, 
And uh, I had a really good relationship with the recruiting guys there. And the head coach at Rutgers at the time was awesome. And it kind of just all fell into place. Yeah. Was it still September 1st of your junior year that, you know, yeah. that whole yep. thing changed back when you, okay. Cause I know, obviously, you know, I interview, you know, class of, you know, 25, 26s. Cause I mean, those are the guys that'll be my first couple draft classes. And I know talking to them, they say, well, yeah, September 1st, my junior year. So I wasn't sure if that was maybe like a, a new rule change or anything like that. Um, but, you know, when you were going through that that process, you know, you go ahead, you choose Rutgers there at the, in the spring of your uh, sophomore season. What were some of those key things that you were looking for before you chose Rutgers? Like, you know, within the campus, coaching staff, um, university in general, like what were some of those key things you were looking for? Yeah, I was looking for, um, you know, obviously Rutgers stood out to me because obviously family is very important to me. And it's, you know, obviously it's it's close by. It was about half hour away and, um, you know, stability, uh, within the program. And I had a really good relationship with the coach that recruited me and the head coach at the time. And I kind of just, it felt like home. Obviously it was home for me being in New Jersey and kind of there, there's some factors that really went into it that really attracted me, um, to that staff and the university as a whole. Yeah. So did you grow up a Rutgers fan? I didn't. I, I grew up a Virginia fan cause my father, Okay, so when so I guess even though you aren't a Rutgers fan, did, was it still kind of cool to see Rutgers, you know, make it into the Big Ten? Um, you know, I guess however long ago that was. I mean, I know I remember it, and you're a couple years older than me. So, do you remember that time when Rutgers became part of the Big yeah. Ten? Yeah, it's it's crazy to obviously be here right now and know the tradition and and all the history Indiana has and all the school spirit and how the whole state is behind Indiana in New Jersey. Uh, college athletics isn't as big and tr there's there's not as much tradition and history so when that happened I, I think everybody thought it was like a big a really big deal to kind of see a program a program that kind of was seen as a mid-major really turn into a power five school and I think it gave a lot of people in the state uh, a team to really get behind yeah and of course I mean you guys have you know I'm not going to say dominated the Big Ten because obviously you know that's Michigan Ohio State pretty much every year for every sport but I mean Rutgers obviously the baseball team is doing amazing. The basketball team, you know, upset in IU, you know, a couple of weeks ago, upset in Purdue. I mean, you guys, I mean, have been doing solid, you know, in pretty much every sport from, you know, I mean, I don't follow Rutgers sports that well, but from the outside looking in, it's looking like that. Uh, but no, you, so you commit to Rutgers the last day of your sophomore year. How long did that kind of take, you know, when you kind of knew in your head, okay, Rutgers is the place I want to go. Like when did that pop into your head and were there maybe a couple other schools that, you know, finished maybe a close second or third? Yeah, it took a while. Obviously, they they started talking to me in the fall of my sophomore year, and I didn't commit till like right before the summer. And I think the way recruiting is now, it's even crazier now that the kids so young are committing. And when you're 15 years old and you're making a decision that's going to set you up for the rest of your life, like it's a pretty big decision. And, and you know, I don't necessarily agree with you know, that notion, like, I don't know if there, there should be any restrictions or whatever. I, I won't go that to that extreme, but it's a pretty big deal for a 15 year old to decide where they're going to go to college. Like when obviously if you're a regular student, you're picking when you're 17, 18 years old. So uh, it did take a while. Um, There's some other schools in the mix, but I kind of felt like once everything fell into place, I felt pretty confident. And, you know, by the end of the spring that I was going to go there. 
Yeah. So going into Rutgers, you know, committing there somewhat early and you being a hometown kid, did you, you know, maybe play a role in maybe some other people's recruiting processes and maybe, you know, maybe throwing them a bone being like, all right, you know, maybe Rutgers is a place for you to go, Um, you know, those last couple of years of high school. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my high school teammate and one of my best friends, Richie Sheikoffer, he initially was going to Maryland and um, he ended up, you know, entering the portal and not really knowing what, what he was going to do. And I was like, dude, let's go, like, let's go play together. And I actually got him to kind of transfer over um, and we got to play together and live together. It was awesome. Um, and he's, he's actually at Florida now. Uh, and he, he, he's similar situation as me. He's a grad guy and uh, really excited for him, but he, he's a good example of somebody like I was really able to kind of influence and to come yeah. there. Yeah, so being committed to Rutgers for a couple of years before, you know, you even, you know, hit campus there your freshman year and then playing there a couple of seasons. What were some of those relationships you had, you know, with the coaching staff and then even with, you know, maybe some of the players that you bonded with most while you were there in New Jersey? Uh, well, the roster was, I, I want to say, 95% Jersey kids and kind of like playing and knowing those dudes from high school. I, I had I was comfortable around those guys and I, I had a relationship with a lot of them and the coaching staff was all from Jersey as well. So it was an easy transition um, getting on campus and kind of like getting acclimated because I, I was already really comfortable with all of them. So you, you talk about how the transition was somewhat easy, but what was that toughest transition of going from high school baseball to collegiate baseball, you know, actually on the field, what did that transition process look like for you? The speed of the game just, you know, it's, it's way faster. Um, that from the defensive side, especially from obviously when you're hitting velos way, way faster, guys have better off speed, off speed stuff. They're commanding it better. Um, just kind of like slowing it down in your mind, but being faster with your, with your feet and body was like the key. And you have to put in the time off the field to kind of like, prepare and study the game and kind of know what, where the ball needs to be at all times. And then put yourself in that position to like not even think once the game starts. Yeah. And then your freshman season, I, I believe when I was looking at it, I mean, you played, I mean, was it pretty much every game and started the majority of those games? Um, so take us through your freshman season, your sophomore season, and then did you play your junior season there as well? Or was it just, okay. So take us through, you know, maybe those three years there at Rutgers, maybe how the different seasons compared and how you developed as a ball player during those uh, seasons at Rutgers. Yeah. Um, I got, I got a lot of playing time my freshman year, um, caught a lot, DH a little bit, um, you know, felt really comfortable. And then my sophomore year, it kind of, everything took off and I, I was off to a really good start. Um, you know, started to hit, hit, hit with some more power, had a lot of success behind the plate, and that's kind of when the whole world shut down with COVID. Um, and then my junior year, similar, my bat was a little, was a little slow, and um, there's some coaching changes, and, uh, you know, ultimately it led to, you know, me kind of finding a new environment, and it's kind of led to where I'm at now. Okay. So take us through that transfer process a little bit. So what is it? So I guess when the, you know, thoughts start popping into your head, all right, maybe, you know, go find a new environment I mean, wherever that happens to be at that moment in your head, take us through that transfer process, you know, going from, you know, maybe filing the paperwork, what exactly that looks like to, you know, actually officially choosing Indiana. 
Yeah. I mean, I think it's a lot easier now than what a lot of people had to go to go through years ago and having to sit out and go through that process. Now you kind of just enter the portal and you kind of have schools immediately reach out. And um, I mean, if I'm being honest, it was a pretty easy process of like, you know, entering and kind of like seeing where you're at. So after, so after the, the transfer portal becomes official, how long is it until, you know, teams start reaching out and how long was it, you know, until you started building that relationship with coach Mercer? Um, I, I, that day I, I had, I had a couple schools reach out. Um, and then I was actually away playing summer ball. So I was kind of navigating through my summer season while, you know, talking to schools and I want to say a week and a half in Indiana reached out and obviously I knew the reputation coach Mercer had, but I knew Indiana from my freshman year uh, playing in Bloomington. And we were actually the team that lost to them when they won the big 10 championship and they dogpiled right in front of us. And I believe coach Mercer won big 10 coach of the year that year. And that, that's my, uh, that was my initial taste of Indiana. I was like, wow, this, this program's awesome. The facilities are really cool. Um, obviously there's, there's so much history and, um, I, I kind of had like a preconceived notion what Indiana was like and coach Mercer. And then just once I started talking to all the coaches, like I, I knew it was home uh, immediately. Yeah. This is where I wanted to go. And uh, I love their philosophies. I love everything coach Mercer stands for. He's the definition of a player friendly coach and he makes me feel so comfortable. And uh, I, I'm really grateful for him because, you know, he, he kind of, he, he's, he's helped me out a ton. So if you could compare, you know, the I guess I'm going to say second recruiting process, you know, going through the transfer portal. If you could compare, you know, when you're a younger kid going through the initial recruiting process to just a couple of years ago, transferring from Rutgers to IU, what did those recruiting processes kind of look like in comparison? Uh, I guess the conversations with coaches, just all of it in general. What was, how did they compare? Yeah, well, you're not a 15 year old kid anymore. <laughs> so you kind of have, you know, kind of how the process goes, you know, that you're not trying to fool anyone and you got to get right to the point and you got to know what, what the team needs and you got to know what you bring to the table. And I think it's faster. And I think there's obviously there's a lot more tape on you and there's, you know, other coaches and, and other, other factors. And, you know, you can't hide when you're, when you're a little kid, you can kind of like navigate through it. But when you're, when you're in college, you, you know. Yeah. So after, after, after you make that commitment to IU, how long, like, I guess, what point in the summer is that? Um, and then how long was it until after collegiate, I mean, sorry, after the summer league ended and you were here in Bloomington? I think I committed in the beginning of July and then I got to campus uh, middle of August. Okay. And then I guess what, like just going through the fall, your first time here in Bloomington, I mean, you are a, I guess, would it be redshirt junior at that time because of COVID or whatever your, your fourth year, but third year of eligibility. Um, take us through, you know, what that is, you know, your first fall here in Bloomington and kind of, you know, just maybe the, the, the process of, you know, going from Rutgers to IU, how the, how they compared um, just the entire um, aspects of the entire organizations. Well, immediately when I, kind of when we started fall ball, I kind of, I realized like I was kind of taken back, like, wow, this is a really professionally ran program um, just from like the structure and kind of how they communicate with players and how things are run and the technology and the data and just the knowledge that all the coaches have. I was blown away like immediately. 
And then, you know, personally, there's a little bit of a culture shock, you know, not being in Jersey, not being 30 minutes from home with my family, you know, living on my own truly for the first time and meeting all these new people. So that was like the only adjustment I had, um, you know, which was which was tough, honestly. But um, from a baseball side, there's, you know, I, th I think we connected right away. Yeah. So going from a roster there at Rutgers that, you know, you're, you're used to a pitching staff that, you know, you've caught for a couple of years there at that point, how, like when you move to another team and, you know, you just get another full pitching staff thrown at you. Um, how do you go about, you know, building those relationships with the pitchers and, you know, I guess building that trust um, while you're there behind the plate, catching them. Well, coach Glant and uh, you know, coach Sagerman do a really good job outlining everything. And I mean, everything. Anything you could possibly think of from a catching standpoint, we're prepared for. We know the the horizontal break, the vertical ride each pitcher has. Um, we have all the data, and all that's really important. But I value the off the field stuff, the how you're how you're connecting with the guy in the locker room. Um, you know, going out to lunch with with a guy and kind of like bonding over, yeah, their pitches, and but more importantly, who they are as a person. And I think learning about you know, each guy is really important. I think a, a key individual in that process was Ty Bothwell. Um, when I was new here, like we kind of hit it off right away. We were, uh, the first thing we talked about was, you know, pitching, kind of our plans, how we're going to attack hitters. But I think we we really grew off the field as well and kind of learning learning more about each other. And he's a really good friend. You talk about how, you know, Coach Glant, Coach Sagerman are very detail-oriented. They, you know, they lay out everything for you. What does that scouting report kind of look like from your side of things? Like, how do they put together uh, a scouting report? What does that look like? Um, how are you guys working together, you know, maybe before a weekend series to um, create a uh, – just scout the other team? What does that look like when you're working with Coach Glant, Coach Sagerman, and the whole pitching staff? Yeah, um, they do a really good job kind of going over – you know, the plan for the weekend, for the series, or if it's a midweek game, um, you know, who we have going on the mound and how we're going to match up. But I think a really important thing that Coach Glant taught me early on was we we go with our strengths, not their weaknesses. So, uh, you know, even if a hitter or an opposing team has a weakness in some area, like we're going to we're going to attack with our strengths. And, you know, it doesn't matter what what kind of the weakness the other team has. We're worried about ourselves. Yeah. So you know, go, you know, going into this this spring, obviously, like I said before we started recording, I mean, I'm from talking to everybody else on the team. I mean, I'm, I'm everyone thinks you're gonna have a pretty big spring. So through your eyes, take us through, you know, maybe what the outlook is. You know, the spring of 2023, maybe some of your personal goals heading into it, and it's what you're looking at um through your point of view at the team. What does that look like for you? It's been it's been an incredible ride. This this fall was awesome. I think we have an elite group of hitters. Um, I think there's been a ton of improvement and I'll, I'll include myself in that side on, on the offensive side. Um, but then on the mound, I think we've upgraded in some areas. We had some key losses through the draft, but I think uh, we did a really good job uh, adding some guys this offseason, transfer guys, some freshmen. And then our guys returning, um, they, they know what to expect. And I think they put themselves in a really good position to improve off of last year. Yeah. So for you as a catcher, what you talk about fall ball there. What does fall ball look like for a catcher? Because obviously, you know, when I'm talking to hitters, I'm talking to pitchers. I mean, they have their own specific thing. But you have to, you know, maybe, you know, be there to uh, catch the pitchers, you know, to hit. What does fall ball look like for a catcher here at IU? It's really important to learn your pitchers um, 
kind of learn their tendencies right away as a catcher in the fall because that's how you prepare for the season, you know, based off of what you know. And those bullpens, like they may be, they may look tedious. Those are the best reps you get. You know, you can sit behind a machine and catch for hours, but when when you're in the bullpen, that's when you learn. Okay, this guy pronates his changeup more. Or this guy leaves his curveball up. Like you, you know how to put yourself in a position to have success in the game. Yeah. So catching for a pitching staff that's ran by Coach Glant, I know Coach Glant is very big into uh, the technology of the game, the analytics. Have you had to learn more about the technology and the analytics since getting to, you know, Bloomington and playing for IU? Um, I've certainly used it, you know, as a plus, but I haven't let it kind of take take over my game. I still kind of rely on, you know, some of the cues I have and and my my fundamentals. But I think it, it, it's definitely really cool, uh, you know, Coach – Sagerman uses the different TrackMan analytics to to measure what percentage of strikes we steal in each different stance and our pop times and all all these this really cool stuff that we use to our advantage and that we can use in practice to to get better at. Yeah. So, you know, when you were at Rutgers, like you said, you know, the majority of the team or, or the majority of the roster was guys who were from New Jersey. But when you get here to IU, there's a bunch of guys from, you know, the state of Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, Illinois, you know, these Midwest states. Who were some of those guys, you know, besides Ty Bothwell that you mentioned uh, that maybe you bonded with the most to begin off with and maybe some of those relationships that you've built here these past two seasons um, in Bloomington? Well, just being around Matt Ellis every day, um, that's that's he's a dude that I'm always around, um, obviously playing the same position and, and, and hitting together. And he's a he's been a great influence and help help for me. And he's a great dude off the field. But other guys like. Um, you know, Brock Tibbetts, uh, Bobby Whalen, Hunter Jesse, like mid Midwest dudes that kind of know the area, uh, Josh Pine, Evan Goforth. Um, they've all kind of taken me under their wing and, and welcomed me in the Midwest, which I'm yeah. very grateful for. Yeah. Um, so I guess this might be a question. I don't know if you want to keep it to yourself and the pitching staff, but who is that nastiest pitcher here on IU this season? It's Todd Bothwell, man. He's unhittable. You, you can know what's coming sometimes and you're like, man, I was three inches underneath that ball. Yeah. So what, so when you're behind the plate there, what's it look like catching a guy like that? It's crazy. Cause sometimes he'll change up his tempo and you're like, you're not even ready for it. So you got to be on high alert at all times when you're catching tie. And he likes, he, him and, and Ben Siler and Gabe Levy, some of our new additions, like they're awesome to catch because they work fast. And I'm sure our outfielders and infielders love that as well because they're not standing around for 20 minutes. It's like a it's a six minute inning. Like they're flying through the inning, they're attacking the zone, and and they get the ball and they're right they're right ready to go. Yeah. So when you're going through bullpens, you know, in the fall or just even in practices during the spring, are you catching the same group of guys like do you, Matt Ellis, AJ Shepard? Um, who I, I believe there's a couple other catchers there on the roster. Do you guys all have the same set of pitchers that you're continuously catching, or uh, does like Glant and Sagerman kind of switch that up? We try to we try to mix it up as much as possible, so you're not, you know, catching the same guys, and you have to be ready for everybody. And then for so I was never a catcher growing up. I don't really talk to you know many catchers here on the podcast, but. For you, like when you are catching a guy, does that kind of, you know, maybe when you are facing him in live ABs, you know, maybe later in the fall or later, whenever, and you have caught him in before, do you think that gives you a little bit of an advantage? You know, kind of be. I, I think it does because you know his strengths and you know his out pitches, but at the end of the day, it's 
pitching is a mind game and you can kind of try to outsmart yourself a little bit and hey like you know he's going to go to this pitch with two strikes and he might bust you in with the fastball and that's the last thing you're expecting so I think it's it, it can it can help you but it can certainly be at your detriment as well okay all right so let's dig a little bit into you know your hitting approach um so you know when you're facing guys you haven't caught before take us through what your hitting approach is you know you're on the batter's box watching the pitcher on the mound watching the guy in front of you what does that approach look like? Kind of what's going through your head? Well, I've kind of revitalized my whole hitting approach and, and playing this summer and this fall um, with our coaches here. And it's kind of just attacking fastballs, staying on the fastball, staying in the middle of the field and having good direction. And, you know, at times, you know, when, when you struggle, you're pulling off pitches, you're you're flying open or you're getting beat. And I think a big approach and a big adjustment of mine is, early timing and being able to attack the fastball with high exit velo to all fields. And yeah. I think it's really helped me in my approach and, 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 you know, allowed me to hit with two strikes and has allowed me to be a lot more confident in the box. Yeah. So you talk about those adjustments, like, is it tough, you know, going from, you know, one hitting coach there at Rutgers to now, you know, coming here and having a different hitting coach, what is that transition of, you know, switching hitting co coaches and maybe what the approaches look like from two separate guys? Yeah. I mean, I think last year was, was definitely a little tough. I went into, you know, one completely different philosophy to another. And I think it was a little bit of an adjustment and I kind of like, wasn't really, you know, I had to kind of shift my approach and kind of some, some physical changes to my swing. And I think it's really came together this fall and, you know, through coach Merce and, and Weatherford and Simmons, like, I think they've molded my swing and my approach to like the point where it's repeatable now. And I feel really comfortable where I don't need to change my swing after a bad round or a bad at bat. I'm sticking with my swing and my same approach. And uh, I've had, you know, some good results this fall that I'm going to carry into the season. Yeah. So talking about those mechanics that, you know, that are repeatable kind of take us through those mechanics and you know how they've developed, you know, as you've gotten used to the IU hitting coach. Yeah. Well, I've, I've kind of messed around with a big stride and a big load to the point where I'm, I'm widened out and I'm going no stride now. And I think that's created less head movement. I think it's really easy to time up pitchers and stay off, stay on the fastball and adjust to breaking balls. And that no stride that I think it's becoming more popular and you'll, you'll see big leaguers do it. It's, it's very repeatable. So you can get consistent. If, you know, if you, you have one at bat, bat at bat, you can just time up the next pitch and be right on it. So yeah, I feel comfortable with it. So switching around to, you know, when you're actually behind the dish, you know, actually catching here at IU or at Rutgers or even, you know, growing up, have you had the opportunity to call baseball games and kind of call the pitches? See, Coach Glant has that, uh, you know, professional lineage and he never really called the game in pro ball. And he kind of brought that over here. We have the mic. He's in my ear a little bit, but I'd say about 60 percent of the pitches he's telling me like, hey, like it, you're this is your show here, like. We, we went over the plan, like, let's, let's attack the guy. Let's cause he, he's a, he's big on tempo. He's big on pace. And obviously he'll give his input. And usually I'd say we're on the same page almost a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. So, so how does that work? You know, with the mic in your head, like, was that the first time, like your first time using that? Was that here at IU? Oh, uh, we, we use that um, at Rutgers my junior year. Okay. And when you do so have one way, like you can't talk back into it. So, you know, sometimes it's, it's it can be a little challenging communicating because it's only one one voice. Um, but, you know, it, it gets the job done. And it, I think it really speeds up the process. 
Yeah. And like, how does, what does that process look like? You know, going from pitch to pitch, obviously you want to keep this in house, but what does that look like? What types of like comments is he making? Like be like, will he be like fast book, fastball inside or what exactly are those comments that he's making here? Yeah. It's he'll, he'll give the pitch, the location, where to set up, set up late, set up early, you know, whether to give a slide step, a, you know, a long hold, a pickoff, and there's there's just a variety of different things, you know, a back pick. And I think I think it's really helpful to have, you know, another ear in there. Yeah. So being the catcher, obviously you have to have pretty much that highest IQ there on the baseball field. Take us through, you know, how that baseball IQ has developed, maybe some different ways that you kind of learned the ba- the, the just the game of baseball in general. Um, how did that baseball IQ kind of develop, you know, over time being a catcher? I think watching big leaguers really helped and what, and like being able to watch some really high level catchers train and go about their business and their routines. Like if they find tendencies in base runners, they can back pick guys. They know when guys are going to steal. And I, I have some personal cues that I know when a guy's going to steal, if I see something or, you know, if I, if, if I want to call pitch in a certain situation, cause I know a guy's stealing or if there's a first and third situation, I think just just being around a lot of baseball and this being my fifth year playing uh, Big Ten baseball, um, just kind of seeing it all and not being surprised by anything because anything can really happen on the base pass or on the mound at all times. Yeah. So when you're looking at your entire game, so this can be, you know, when you're in the batter's box, when you're behind the plate and when you're in the bullpen, you know, interacting with that pitching staff and how you handle it. If you were a scout watching your game, what would that scouting report look like? think uh i can def i'm definitely accurate with my arm um i think i throw runners out at a high percentage i take care of the ball um and i think kind of the off the field stuff that a scout might not see is you know the the handling of the pitching staff the the ins and outs of the defense and kind of knowing where guys need to be at all times um and then i think i've improved on some bat to ball and um you know average exit velocity and know strikeout numbers and chase percentage and all that all those numbers have kind of like elevated in my favor uh this past fall and i'm looking you know to to even raise those more this spring yeah so with those being the majority of your strengths what are maybe some of the biggest things you're wanting to develop within your game you know heading to 2023 heading into you know potentially the 2023 mlb draft what are some of those things you're wanting to develop in your game yeah i've been uh you know developing some power uh, working with some with our strength coach, Coach Virtue, um, you know, obviously all of our hitting coaches and exit velo and power um, have been the main things that I've really tried to develop. And then kind of learning new tricks kind of behind the plate to be more aggressive and, and steal outs. Um, obviously, there's the easy outs, like the easy bump play that you need to make, the easy dead throw out that you need to make. But there's the back picks. There's the you know, delayed steal that you have to get the guy out there, there. There's some of those stuff that I'm still adding to my game. Yeah. So let's dig into my last topic. I want to dig into before we dig into my rapid fire questions. I ask everybody to end off the podcast, some, you know, cool questions there to end it off. But, you know, obviously, like I said, I'm trying to be an agent here. Once I graduate from IU, um, I know you had an advisor going into that 2018 MLB draft. So let's just dig into, you know, that advisor selection process. Take us through maybe when was it that advisors kind of started reaching out and just take us through that whole process. They, uh, yeah, great question. They started reaching out um, the summer going into my senior year. So that junior summer and the summer ball circuit when I was, you know, playing an area code, um, we had 
you know, a couple people reach out and um, was really fortunate. Dave Pepe reached out with pro agents and he's been awesome. And, uh, you know, he lives close by home. So I get to see him when I'm home and he's been a great influence on my career and he's really helped me out a ton. Yeah. So what was the main way that the majority of these agents were reaching out? Like, were they, you know, maybe coming up to you in person, at, you know, at a travel ball event? Was it text messages? How did these advisors slash agents kind of reach out to you? Yeah. Uh, in person, uh, got my, my number through coaches, um, stuff like that. And they would just kind of be at events and you'd, you'd kind of see the similar face and you kind of put a name to the face and then you can kind of, you know, build that relationship. Yeah, I know you said so you said that your guy, you know, is from, you know, close by. He lives kind of close to, to where you're at, New Jersey. But before you kind of met your advisor and kind of knew who he was, who what were some of those key things that you would have been looking for within an advisor before you actually chose them to kind of, you know, take you through your career? I was looking for someone that was committed to me and my career, um, someone that had a plan and, uh, you know, someone that had, you know, a lot of baseball IQ, but someone that was real and that you could talk to and that you could go out to dinner to and kind of talk about real life things. And, uh, but also, you know, what, you know, what's important and what we're really striving to work for. Yeah. So how long did that process take, you know, maybe from the first time that advisor reached out, maybe what's going through your head there um, as the first advisor reaches out to the time that you chose, you said David is his name. Yep. Dave Peppy. Okay. So take us through that process from, I guess, the beginning to, you know, when you did decide, all right, I think, I think Dave's my guy. He reached out. Uh, we talked a few times, uh, talked to my dad. My dad loved him. I loved him initially. And then we went out to dinner, discussed, and that's, that's kind of how it all, I think about a week later, I, I called him and confirmed, you know, we're going to get this rolling. Okay. So during the last question here, so during that, during that meeting, or I guess meetings with other advisors, did advisors uh, maybe have presentations set up for you or for the most part, was it kind of, you know, a conver a, just a genuine conversation, you guys asking questions, him kind of getting to know you a little bit more. Uh, what, what, what was that whole process? In my process? process, I mean, this is back in 2017. So, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's changed now. I did not have any type of presentation. It was more just, um, there was some paperwork and like, kind of like examples of, you know, how the process might go. Um, but was more face-to-face -face and, um, you know, on the phone. Yeah. So going through, you know, that 2018 MLB draft. Oh, so one more question. I know I said the last no one, worries. but so going through that 2018 one, uh, that 20, the 2018 MLB draft until now to, you know, the 2023 MLB draft after, you know, your season here at IU, have you had, you know, any other advisors, you know, maybe try to swoop in and try to guide, like try, maybe try to swoop in and try to take you from Dave or for the most part have, Advisor. I I stuck with Dave uh, the whole time, and I I feel feel really good with kind of where I'm at with him, and I think we're at the end of the day, the advisor doesn't get you there. Um, it, obviously, it plays such a good big role, and the connections, and I think it's really really helpful. But in my mind, I need to perform on the field myself and for my teammates and try to win a championship because I think winning takes care of everything and. I think the advisor wants players that are on winning teams because they they put themselves in the best positions to uh, get selected in the draft. Yeah. All right. So down to my final here, a couple of questions that I end off, you know, every podcast with ask pretty much every player, my rapid fire set of questions. So, you know, when you're looking beyond the game of baseball, I know you said you've wrestled before in the past, past played football, but what are some of those passions that you have beyond the game of baseball? 
Wow. Um, well, football, obviously. Uh, I'm a big Jets fan. So you could tie that in there. Um, I'm a big movie guy. I, I like I like a lot of TV shows too. Kind of when in my downtime, um, and uh, you know, just spending time with family and yeah. friends. Yeah. So you say you're a Jets fan. Are you a Are you a Brooklyn Nets fan slash you know old New Jersey Nets fan? Or what does that look like when it comes to basketball with the Nets moving out of New Jersey? New Jersey, New York sports are weird. Like they're everybody thinks like okay, you root for certain teams. Like I'm I'm a Knicks fan actually, but I'm Jets, Knicks, Yankees. And uh, don't really follow hockey that much, but if I had to, it'd be a Rangers fan, even okay. though the Devils are right in Jersey. It's kind of like it's kind of all mixed. Yeah, because like, isn't it like look, Brooklyn, New York, New Jersey are kind of like all pretty much together, right? Yeah, I mean that's I live about twelve miles from New York City, and it takes about forty minutes to get in with traffic, sometimes less. So <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of crazy, like how there so many different teams, and you know what to root for. And there's, there's a lot of different uh, variability there. Yeah. All right. So digging into my, I got three questions left here. Um, so digging into motivations, um, what is it that, you know, kind of get, you know, get you up in the morning, kind of get you out of bed, um, you know, just kind of has it in your mind, you know, go win the day, go get better. What are some of those motivations that, you know, help you out there? Yeah, I think it, uh, my long line of athletic success in my family motivates me to be better and try to be the best. And, you know, I think they've they've laid out a really good path for me and I just want to follow that to the best I can because you know I, I want to strive for greatness. All right. So taking that question just a little bit further, what is that perfect picture of your life? You know, you keep using these motivations, uh, you just continuously get better, keep developing your game or just your life in general. What does that perfect picture of your life look like 20 years down the road? Man, hopefully, uh have a Big Ten championship, have a uh, College World Series ring, um, you know, cherish this last year with my boys and with my team here at Indiana, but uh, hopefully play professional baseball and hopefully be working in professional baseball or playing, um, okay. you know, at that point. All right. So digging into my last question here. Um, so obviously with you being a collegiate student, well, a collegiate student athlete um, and, you know, having that opportunity to capitalize off your name, image and likeness, what would be one dream brand that you would love to endorse, collaborate, partner with, whatever it happens to be? What would that dream brand be? 100% Chipotle. I eat there about three days a week. And if there's any type of opportunity for them to, to sponsor me, I would take that right away. All right. You know, I love those unique answers. You know, I'm tired of getting, you know, the Nikes, Adidas, uh, Lululemon. You know, I always love it when a player brings up, you know, some sort of, yeah, I guess, unique brand uh, when it comes to, you know, those type of partnership deals. But no, man, uh, that's the final question here on the JKR podcast. Really appreciate, you know, you coming you coming on the podcast for this Hoosier baseball series. Um, Obviously, you know, I'm a Hoosier, so I'll be, you know, watching you guys this spring, you know, cheering you on, you know, as you guys, you know, head to that Big Ten tournament, head to Omaha, hopefully. Um, I'll be cheering you guys on. Uh, best of luck, you know, here this season. Best of luck, you know, for your career. And like I said, just I really appreciate you here coming on the JKR podcast. Sir, man, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.